Thank you so much. So I think today is about possibly just imagining how things could be a little bit different. I want you to listen to today and just imagine a different reality than the reality that we face right now. So, and, and, and the topic really is, is about love. Um, I grew up in a home where, of course, you know, we were, were raised in a religious home, so we were taught to love people, and I, I loved people, and I cared, and I guess I was kind, but if somebody ever asked us something, if, you know, and, and this is just the culture that I grew up in, if somebody asked me to do something, or, or this is what I perhaps was modeled to me, it would be, yes, I'm, I'm very willing to help because I'm a Christian, Right? But if it was inconvenient, I sort of thought about it twice. You know, it really had to, it had to work for me, and I wasn't really going to go out of my way uh, to, to help somebody. Although I was kind and I, I was, did all the things that, that Christians do. And um, about 13 years ago, we started this organization called Work for a Living. And what we do is we work for the unemployed poor, and we, we teach them people to, to work to a standard of excellence, and we link them with opportunities. And about four or five years ago, we started seeing a lot of people give their lives to the Lord, right? So now I was following the Lord, and we had a lot of people give their lives to the Lord, and, and we were excited. I mean, literally, I think in a year, we had 1,000, 1,500 people through all of our centers giving their lives to Jesus, which in itself is a, it's beautiful, right? And from an NGO perspective, it's like, wow, that's incredible. And then the Lord one day got hold of me and said, listen, my word says, that it, it doesn't say in Matthew 28, go out and get people saved. It says, go out and make disciples. And those people giving their lives to the Lord, you need to feed them. And I was like, okay, well, what now? So this is, this is part of my journey, if I can just share my journey over the next, um, next little while. So I said, well, Lord, I don't know how to disciple people. I think I've been discipled. I mean... You know, I've been to, uh, what is the sort of, in the Methodist church, I don't know if it was confirmation classes, and I'm, 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 I'm loving the people, you know, I wouldn't have started this organization if I didn't have a heart, a broken heart for the poor of our nation. So as we started going through this journey and I asked, started asking people, you know, churches, specifically pastors, because we partner with a lot of pastors, how do we disciple people? And as I got to the churches, the churches were saying, or the pastors were saying, well, like, what do you mean exactly? So I said, like, discipleship, you know? How do you decide? How do we disciple these people? And they say, well, what exactly do you mean by discipleship? So I said, okay, as far as I can understand, discipleship is teaching them to, to be a better Christian. So they said, okay, we invite them to our church for a course. So we did that. We invited our, our students to a course at the churches. And naught came. So out of 1,500 people giving their lives to Jesus, naught came to the church for discipleship classes. And this carried on for, year, for, for months and months. I was frustrated, so frustrated. And we've got 40 centers across South Africa, so it was happening all over the place. So eventually I thought, okay, well, why don't we actually go to the Bible and see what God says is discipleship? So... I happened upon John 13, 35. John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you 
love one another. What does that say? It says that we are disciples if we love one another. I was like, Lord, can it be that simple? Can it be that simple that we are discipling people if we love one another? So we actually started um, teaching our students this. And if you could just get to that one slide, uh, the first one, I think. We started teaching our students. We started asking our students, okay, what's the two most important commandments? Eventually we get to love God, love your neighbor. Then we said, okay, but what about John 14, 15? John 14, 15 says, so it's love God, love your neighbor. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey me. So he says the two most important commandments are love God, love your neighbor. And he says, but if you love me, you will obey me. So how do we please God the most? By loving your neighbor. And if we teach people to love their na- your neighbor, you're effectively discipling people. And we started teaching our students that and started encourage them, encouraging them to actually go out and serve their community and love their neighbor. And we started see, seeing transformation. And I'll get to that in a, in a little while again. So in the New Living Translation, um, it says, Your love for another will prove to the, to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another, will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And we need to understand, uh, 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 and for me, this was the journey, to understand that, loving, that, that being discipled is not having all the knowledge. Being discipled is not knowing your Bible. Well, it is. It is. But it's not the core of what it is to be discipled. It's not all knowledge. It's not knowing your Bible. It's not serving on a Sunday, although that's important, okay? It's not starting an NGO. It's loving your neighbor, the priority of intentionally loving people. The best way to please Jesus is to simply love your neighbor. So, the Dead Sea, we've all heard of the Dead Sea, and you know, you can apparently float. I've never been there. I'm sure a couple of you have been there. You can actually float on the Dead Sea. You can't sink, so it's so dense, and nothing actually grows in the Dead Sea. But what happens with the Dead Sea is water flows into the Dead Sea, right? It flows in, so it, 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 nothing lives in it. And I think we've got to be so careful, certainly it's the way I was raised, that we're not like the Dead Sea where we get puffed up and fat with knowledge in small group and in church, but there's no outflow because we're going to fraught. And we're not going to be the light that, is, that the church and we are meant to be out there. So we are discipled, the first point, if we love people, and we will be discipling other people, okay, if we teach them to love their neighbor. Do you, you follow me? Does that make sense? So for us, it meant we wanted to teach our students to start understanding. Now, students are all unemployed, hey? Unemployed, many of them very, very poor. So if we taught our students to go and love their communities and love their neighbors from the beginning, um, we were effectively um, teaching them to live the way God wants them to live. And in the process, they get discipled. And, um, and we effectively were then discipling them into salvation. And we just saw massive, massive change. And, um, and, and thousands, literally thousands of people 
um, getting saved every year through our centers. So the next scripture I just want to look at is Acts 2 verse 47. And, and for me, this is key. It was a huge eye-opener for me, this. It says, everybody liked them. Everybody liked them. And each day, the Lord added to their numbers. Okay. The people out there liked them. So, do people like the church today? Do people like us? We've got to ask the question, we are the church. Okay. Do people like us? Do people look at you and me as the church and say, wow, what awesome, awesome, incredible people. I'm amazed. I want to know what these people have got. Are they overwhelmed by you? So if if we understand that, that the world can't deny being loved, the world might not know the Lord, right? But everybody wants to actually be loved. No matter how wicked and bad you are, (laughs) you actually want to be loved. So if that's the case, and that's the Lord's model, then that should be a major, major priority in our lives. Remember, it says everyone liked them, and the Lord added to their group. And if people don't feel loved by God, they can't see it. How, how must they feel loved by God? By who? Maybe sitting, they don't have a quiet time, they don't have a time where they sit. You and I are the people that are going to make them see and feel the love of God. And we tell people to come to church so that they can, they can sort of feel the love of Jesus, but are we that, are we that love? Do, do they see it? Um, George is a, uh, we've been in George now for two, one and a half years. What, what year? 18 months, yeah, probably 20 months. George is a difficult place. I want to tell you, it's a difficult place. Perhaps we come from the friendly city, from Port Elizabeth, the windy city. But George is, a, is, is not necessarily an easy place. For those of you who've lived here for a long time, you're used to it, you've got the people that you know, but it's not an easy place to come into. And um, people might look at it and say, yeah, but you know, you know, what does one do about it? What one does about it is that's opportunity. It's opportunity for us as the church to shine like the sun. You know, I want to ask the new people, perhaps not the new people today, but the new people from previously, how do you feel when you come here? Are you overwhelmed by the love of this church? Are we overwhelming people with the love of the Lord has shown us? Because the Lord's love, if people explain the Lord's love, people say, how Jesus, it's overwhelming, we sing it. If Jesus' love for us is overwhelming, How much more, and he's told us to do it, should our love for people also not be overwhelming? When people walk into this church, they need to be overwhelmed um, with what the Lord has got. So, and it's not just the hospitality team, and the hospitality team does a great job, by the way, always. I mean, we normally come to the evening service, and it's like, it's amazing, and it's amazing in the morning. But it's during the service, it's afterwards in the coffee, it's in the uh, coffee time, it's in the weeks to come. It's overwhelmingly loving each other. We, I was in a church in, um, in Cardiff in Wales um, probably about two years ago. And in England, it's, the church is difficult. Church life is difficult. The churches are small. You know, people don't want to go to church anymore. They sort of regard themselves as post-Christian. 
And this church was in the industrial area of Cardiff, the city in Wales. And very much like Shofar. But the church was thriving. It was thriving. It had hundreds of people. For a church in England to have hundreds of people is a really, really big deal. And you know what their philosophy is, their culture? After the church, you don't speak to the people you know. They sort of, it's not like you may not, of course, okay? But your priority is to speak to people you don't know, to speak to people who are new so that you can love them and they can feel the overwhelming love of Jesus. So, are we discipled? Are we discipled? How do we live? How do we love? I had to ask myself those difficult questions. If, if the, fa- the, the fact that I'm discipled depends on how I love people, I'm not talking about just the people that come across my path. I'm talking about intentional love. I had to ask myself some serious questions. So Luke 10, 25, 37, we all know the story. Um, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You can turn there if you want. You can just read it on the screen. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? Well, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Um, And then you know the story. In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. The priest came past. He passed by on the other side. The Levite came past, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him. When when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. So Jesus then says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell onto the hands of the robbers? And the expert, the expert in the law said, it's the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So what two questions does Jesus answer? What two questions does Jesus answer? What does this expert in the law ask Jesus? The first one is, how do I inherit eternal life? Do you remember that? How do I inherit eternal life? That was the question. And the second one is, um, who is my neighbor? So what is Jesus' answer to the first? How do I get eternal life? If, I to, if someone had to have asked me, how do I get eternal life? You know what I'd say? You've got to um, believe in Jesus, right? Anyone agree with me? Believe in Jesus, and you're going to be saved. I understand we've got to believe in Jesus. But Jesus is there saying, the guy asks him, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus didn't say, believe in me. What did he say? He says, what is written in the law? And the guy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. When I saw that, it was like, I missed this. And then Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So in other words, 
according to this verse, and of course we've got to believe in Jesus, right? But according to this, it says, love God, love your neighbor. Jesus' words. No one else's words. Jesus' words. And then what is Jesus' answer to the second question? Who is my neighbor? So in Luke 10, 37, the expert said, the one who was kind enough to help him. And Jesus says, go and imitate his example. Go and do the same. So who um, do I help? Who do I love? Anyone in need that is right in front of me. So to summarize, the original question was, how can I inherit eternal life? Love my neighbor. If you love me, you will obey me. Love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Anybody in need. And you will live. Good answer, Jesus says. Do it and you will live. So it's not just about what we say we believe. It's also about what we show we believe. Um, there's a lady called Heidi Baker. I don't know if any of you have heard of her. Um, she's a, a general in the Lord's army. She works in um, Mozambique, in Pemba, and they, she just does the most incredible work. She's got a huge, beautiful, beautiful nonprofit called Iris Ministries. And um, she said, uh, love needs to look like something. It's not a feeling. Love needs to look like something. So James 2 verse 8 says, You will do all right if you obey the most important law in the Scriptures. It is the law that commands us to love others as much as we love ourselves. So in James it says, it's a command, number one, and that we love um, us, others as much as we love ourselves. And guys, you know what? We take pretty good care of ourselves, eh? We, 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 we make sure that we've got the comforts and we looked after. Some of us might have some self-esteem issues. I know I've certainly had over the years. We might have some issues with ourselves. But generally, we take pretty good care of ourselves. And if we, it says there we need to love others as much as we love ourselves. And that's a challenge. It's certainly been a challenge for me. It's been an incredible journey of learning to actually love people. Um, 1 John 4 verse 20. If we say we love God and don't love each other, we are liars. We cannot see God. So how can we love God if we don't love the people that we can see? And in the message it says, the command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You have to love both. So, Jesus reduces the great commandment to the irreducible minimum. The irreducible minimum of love your neighbor. And we speak in here about intentional loving. It's not for me, like for me, when someone comes across my path and I see them, then I'm going to, then I'm going to love them. It's a doing word. It's not just, oh, well, let me help this person. Let me help this beggar. It's not that. It's intentional. It's looking for ways, creating a habit of loving people intentionally on a daily basis. I've seen, you know, there are two people, and I've certainly fallen, fallen into either category. The first category is people who are very good at loving in the church, okay, but not good with loving the, the out there people, the sinners, Okay, so we, we're able to love here, but we're not necessarily able to love those people. Okay, the second kind is the people who, and probably the bleeding heart people, who can love the people out there, 
start NGOs and do amazing things, but we struggle to love the people close. We're not talking about family. We're talking about the people in our close proximity. And we've got to make sure that we don't fall into either category. So um, a guy called Bob Moffat, um, who runs a, a nonprofit, um, who's involved in a nonprofit called DNA that's massively impacted our lives, he told me the story of, of, of he actually went to a church in um, Kampala in Uganda, and he, um, the church is called Watoto, and it's a very, I don't know if any of you have heard of it, it's a massive, massive church. And he, he spoke to this church about the discipline of love, about having an intentional discipline of loving people. And the pastor was so, that was a big church, I think 1,000, 1,500 people in the church, and the pastor was so taken by this message that th the next week he called everybody together for a special meeting and says, you know what we're doing? This church is from now on going to be in small groups. We are meeting in small groups. We'll meet together once a month. But our meetings are going to take place in small groups. And the purpose of this church is going to be to transform this city and ultimately this nation. And they started forming these small groups. And the small groups started going into communities and to their neighbors, people who had AIDS, and they started washing the people who had AIDS and started building houses for people, and they started painting houses for people, and they started helping with building schools like you've seen and doing the most incredible things. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people came to know the Lord and joined those small groups. Why? Because you can't deny the feeling of being loved. You can't deny it. So we've got probably 50 or 60 facilitators that run our centers across the country. And we had a lady from East London. Now we're busy. This guy, Bob Moffat, was actually telling the story to our facilitators, just like sort of a bit of a development program. And I could see this one lady. She was wanting to jump up. And afterwards, she did jump up, and she was from East London. And she said, I want to tell you, I'm from Uganda. We knew that. But she says, I was touched by that church. She says, I was a student. And I didn't have the money ever to go home. Every day I'd have to walk home, but I'd sit in class till everybody's gone, and then I'd walk home, and it was very, very far. She says, one day a woman came to me and said, hey, I just want to know, why do you always sit behind? And eventually she told her the story, and um, the woman said, wait here, went outside, got her some money, and so a relationship built. This lady, Connie, her name was Connie, she wasn't saved at all, and they invited her to a small group, and she was like, ah, but you're, they've really, you know, these people, are, there's something about them. She went, she gave her life to the Lord, and now runs one of our Work for a Living centers in East London, and teaches other unemployed people to love their neighbor. So let's start discipling people even before they know who Jesus is. How? By loving them. Because that is who Jesus is. By loving them. A guy called Floyd McClung. Um, many of you, I'm sure, will know who Floyd McClung is. He lived in, took his whole family and lived in Amsterdam with his little children um, in the red light district. Raised his children in the red light district where all the prostitutes live to serve the pimps and the prostitutes and the drug dealers. The little kids would walk um, to school in the morning and they'd walk past the woman in the windows and say, Hello, Auntie Katie. Hello, Auntie Sally. And I mean, they're the playing their ways, and he took his children and raised them there in that community. And, um, you know, he said for him, 
Discipleship starts the moment he starts a conversation with anybody. If he's sitting on a plane and he starts talking to them, he's going to love them like Jesus loved them. But discipleship for him started there. And for many of us, you know, sitting here, certainly it was the case for me. We've been in church for a long time. You know, this might not be as easy to implement because our view sometimes is we find you go to church, you know, we're good people from Monday to Friday. And, um, but I think, you know, it's, it, it takes more than being a good person. It, it takes being overwhelming. The way Jesus has been to us, overwhelmingly loving, we need to be to, we need to, be to the taxis. You know? We need to be to people in the traffic. We need to be to the people in our families in this church. And, um, and I think when we understand that it's a, a doing word, we start understanding what love is. And when we start realizing that it's intentional, it's not just who comes across my path. I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 13. The excellence of love. You know this verse. So, what if I could speak all languages of humans and angels and I did not love others? I would be nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What if I could prophesy, understand all secrets, all knowledge? And what if I had faith that moved mountains? I would be nothing unless I loved others. What if I gave away all that I owned and let myself be burned alive? I would gain nothing unless I loved others. Love is kind, patient, never jealous, boastful, proud or rude, not selfish, not quick-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And love rejoices in the truth, but not in evil. It is always supportive, always loyal, always hopeful, always trusting. Love never fails. And of course, later on it says there's faith, hope, and love. But of the three, the greatest is love. So if we look at that, you know, my focus has always been on that second part. Love is, if you can just go to that next slide. If we look at a, a, a sort of what a, sorry, the next one, slide. a love disciple. If we look at a love disciple, and that's what we normally associate the scripture with, you know. Kind, patient, never jealous, never boastful, never proud, never rude, not selfish, not quick-tempered, no record of wrongs, rejoices in the truth, not evil, always hopeful, never fails. Right? So we associated with that, which I'm relatively kind. I can work on my patience. I'm not really jealous, boastful, proud one's always got to work with, rude. You know, it's sort of within our parameters we can, we can, we can handle that because we're generally nice. But let's go and look at the knowledge disciple of what Jesus says it's not. He says, knows the basics of Scripture, serves in the church, able to prophesy, word of knowledge. This is the Scripture we've just read. Has faith that moves mountains, is generous, gave away everything, feeds the poor, even died as a martyr. And what does it say? What if I did all these things, I would gain nothing unless I loved others. We can prophesy, we can have word of knowledge, we can start big NGOs, we can give, be completely generous, give away what we have, know the word. And it says, if we, have, if we don't love, we have nothing, nothing. It counts for naught. That's a sobering thought and really challenging. So let's test that. Um, a guy called Andrew, Andrew Selly, who heads up um, the Josh Jen church group, he says, we Christians, he actually wrote this somewhere, he says, we Christians should be like Teflon. 
when it comes to, be able to, to, to being able to be offended, nothing should stick. If love holds no records of wrongs, then neither should we. We can only be offended by someone because we hold the record against them of some evil that we believe has been done to us. And this is the important part. I often find a great test of whether I'm holding my brother's sins on record is I imagine them walking into, towards me and I immediately ask my heart, how does it feel towards them? Do I feel anger? Do I feel the need to walk the other way? Do I feel the need to avoid them? Do I feel the need to turn my shoulder? Do I feel hurt in that moment? Or do I feel warmth, love, acceptance, and care towards them? If the former, then I know it's time I bring my heart before God to do business with it and repent. Love holds no record of wrongs, and Jesus taught us to love our enemies. So yes, guys, these things are hard. Hey, It's difficult stuff, but it's about starting the journey. I hope that I become, for the rest of my life, a better and better lover of people. I want the Lord to say at the end of my life, you were a great lover of people. Can I say that now? I know I, I can't, but I'm going to try. That's for sure. So, in terms of, just in, sort of in closing, in terms of our students, um, to love people and for it to become a way of life, um, we need to, if we want to become good at something, then we need to make it a personal discipline. And I think for me personally, this was missing in my life. Um, 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 to 8 says, Godliness is being like God. So train yourself to be um, godly. Train yourself to be godly. So the Good Samaritan that we read about early, earlier, the Good Samaritan could have met that guy, cleaned up his wounds, and taken him to the local hospital, which is what we do, Right? But, but Jesus tells more. He says, he cleans up his wounds. He takes him to the hospital. Okay? He, he pays for him. And then he tells the guy, listen, you, you, you're at a hotel here. You're at the local Protea Hotel. Let him stay here for as long as he's needed to recover. And if he has any other needs and it costs you anything, then won't you please send the bill to me? That's the story Jesus told. That's above and beyond. It's not, just, it's not just fixing this guy and making sure that he's off the street so that a car doesn't drive over him. It's above and beyond in terms of that guy's life. So, you know, what do we need to get a nation transformed? We get people to live the way God wants us to live. We need to live the way God wants us to live. And as they do what he wants, they get discipled. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says, Then God would use the church to show the powers and authorities in the spiritual, spiritual world that he has many different kinds of wisdom. We are the church. And we are the ones that need to be the epitome and the example of love. Ephesians 4, so powerful. So that his people would learn to serve and his body would grow strong. Then we will be mature, just as Christ is, and we will be completely like him. So people will learn to serve, and we will grow strong through learning to serve. And then we will be mature. When are we mature Christians? When we love our neighbor. When, when loving people becomes the discipline in our life. When we choose not to take offense. When we choose to be kind. 
where we choose to do things for people. And we need to be an army of people in the church that intentionally loves and serves people around them. That's how we should be known. Not as self-righteous, judgmental people, but people that overwhelmingly love their neighbor. Um, There are two two people that have massively impacted my life in terms of of loving um, and and, and really helped me along my journey. And the one, I'm sorry I'm going to embarrass my husband, is my husband. Okay, it's Walter. You know, I grew up, as I said, in a home where it's like, okay, I'll, I'll help. You know those people? I need something. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll help you. Like that? You know that? Okay, so my husband's the opposite. My husband is, my husband's whole thinking is, how can we say yes to whatever you want? Again, that was a challenge for me in the beginning because I was like, okay, but do we have to say yes? You know, do we have to do this now? Yes, we're going to. That's his nature. And that's been a huge example for me. The second one is a guy, this guy called Bob Moffat. And um, Bob Moffat tells the story of he was living next to his, uh, in, a, in a community. And his neighbor, every day he'd get home from work and his neighbor's lawn, the grass would be this high, there'd be beer bottles everywhere, dirt, plastic, rubbish. And every day he'd get home and say, God, please, will you work in this guy's life so that he can sort out his yard? Please. And it would go on for months and months and months. And one day he got home and he felt God say, because he was like, yeah, God, please, you do it. And he was like, me. He's like, you do it. So he goes out, gets his lawnmower out. He says, okay. And he starts mowing the guy's lawn. Picks up all the plastic bags and bags of black bags of plastic and rubbish. Starts mowing his lawn. And he sees the curtains move. The guy peeks out. Next week, does the same. Next week, does the same. Goes on. Next month. Next month. Eventually, the guy, while he's doing it, he would walk out of his door, hi, Bob, and carry on walking while Bob is working in his yard, cleaning his yard. For two years. For two years. And this guy did not know God at all. He he was very unhappy when they had soul group in their house and they had worship music. He'd complain, keep the music down. And Bob carried on doing it. And then one day, Bob came home and he saw the removal truck just going down the road. And he thought, wow, (laughs) what the heck? There he goes. Nothing. Served him for two years. Ten years later, gets a phone call. And the guy says, my name's Carl someone or other. He says, I want to come and see you. And the man walks in with his wife and he's clean shaven and he's looking well dressed. He says, I want to tell you that what you did for me those years ago, I could not understand it. And because of the love that you showed me, I've accepted Jesus Christ into my life. And I follow him and my children follow him. And what you taught me to do in terms of loving my neighbor, I now do to my neighbor where I live. So living like this is not a reaction to when we are faced with need. Guys, it's the intentional, daily seeking out of people who we can help. We've got a lot of dogs at home. We, got, we moved from a small farm in Port Elizabeth to a small community in Great Break River. 
So our dogs are all over the place, and obviously with dogs comes a bit of baggage. Um, and in the beginning, I was like a little bit grumpy, and I would go and I'd pick up the dog poo. And then one day I realized, I th- maybe it was the Lord, I trust it was the Lord saying to me, you know what, what you're doing, and, I, and I, it sort of got to a stage where I just go to everybody's lawn now. I go every day to everybody's lawn around me, and I, I know already which dog poos are ours. Sorry, this is terrible. But which dog poos are my dogs and which ones are not? Okay, it doesn't matter. So I pick up everybody's dog poo in all the houses around here. And I felt the Lord say, with my kids actually asking, Mom, why do you do it? You know that that's not our dogs. And, you know, it was such a great feeling. Hey, I'm getting somewhere, you know. I'm getting somewhere because I do it because I want to serve these people. Our students, in closing, are unemployed. We teach them to love their neighbor. Many of them have nothing. So I'd just like you to take five minutes uh, just to watch this clip of what uh, an awesome God we serve. Thanks. So what I want to propose to you, imagine a nation full of people like that. And let us be the church that makes that happen. Thank you. Can we pray? Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are and just the way you are such an awesome example. I pray, Father, that we can be your hand that loves everybody. I pray that we can be the shining light. I pray, Lord, that you work in our lives and that you show us, um, instill in us, Lord, this discipline. The, not even the discipline, Lord, the heart. Change our heart, Lord, so that we can love everybody around us. Every person that we come into contact with, Lord, let there be an aroma that is left behind, that they can be overwhelmed with your love. I pray for a transformation of our minds, Lord, that even if we are mature Christians, that we can look at the world in a different way and that we can see the simplicity and incredible beauty of your gospel, which is simply to love extravagantly. So we thank you, Father. We pray that you continue to work in our lives, and we just honor you today. In Jesus' name, thank you.